Well, it is weird uh, that I am preaching to an empty room. You know, we've done this four weeks already, and it's been weird every week, but particularly on Easter. I mean, what a bummer that we can't be next to each other in worship during Easter. I mean, the whole pandemic and COVID-19 and social distancing, stay at home, it's all been hard. It's been really hard on us. And I'll tell you, though, my faith has been renewed in humanity because our meme game is strong. Like, we're going to meme this thing to death. Like, I saw this one. Look at this on your screens. I saw this recently. Where's your husband? He's in the garden. I didn't see him. You need to dig a little. (laughs) After we come out of isolation, I'll tell you what, if this coronavirus thing doesn't kill us, quarantining will kill each other for, for too much longer, right? Hopefully that is not your reality. But I did see online this, you know, you see I'm wearing a white shirt because, you know, it's Easter. And so, so now you know it is polite to wear your white PJs to church because <laughs> it's Easter. So bring out the white PJs, that's okay. Well, it is Easter and to talk about that for a little bit, listen, Easter is all about this. It's about a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Simply those two things. Now, for salvation, all we needed was the bloody cross, right? Uh, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was reflective of the Jewish sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament. As we reverse that, the Jewish sacrificial system was a precursor, a foreshadowing to what Christ did. But what they did in that sacrificial system is they knew that sin meant death. They had blood guiltiness. They deserved death. And in these animals they sacrificed were like a stopgap, temporary patch measure to say, God, would you let the, the condemnation fall on this animal? And that's exactly what they did. But when Jesus came, he came as the eternal lamb of God, the final sacrifice, the full sacrifice. And when he hung there on the cross, he said, it is finished, paid in full, complete, which means we didn't work for our salvation. Jesus did all the work. Like in light of our salvation, Jesus is the only essential worker, just him. It's finished. Okay, great news. But here's a question. If after the bloody cross, it's true what Jesus said, it's finished, then why the resurrection? Why the resurrection? Well, uh, there's a couple reasons. One is that Jesus predicted it. So like if he didn't rise from the dead, then Jesus is a liar and a liar can't be your Lord and Savior. So that's important. I've told you also before that the resurrection is like the receipt for your payment, right? So the cross is the purchase. The resurrection is the proof of purchase or the receipt. Okay, good, good stuff. But over the last couple months, another idea has been percolating. I feel like God has been clarifying this to me. And it's that Jesus didn't come to establish religion. He came to establish relationship. Listen, if, if God became incarnate in human flesh through Jesus and went through all this and the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all to establish religion, what a waste. We already had religion. That didn't get us down the field at all. 
But what Jesus was really after, the really big deal is relationship, connection with God. And here's the thing that I want you to hold on to this year. For a religion, a dead Jesus will do. But for relationship, you need a living Jesus. You got that? For religion, a dead Jesus will do you just fine. But for relationship, you need a living Jesus. Now, let me tease this out. So go back to the Jewish sacrificial system. They would bring this animal and, and, and sacrifice it. And when they did, they would burn part of the animal. And then they would keep part, they would eat that animal. But after that, it was done. Like It was all over at that point. There wasn't any sense of wanting a relationship with the dead animal. That's stupid, right? There was no expectation that the animal might rise from the dead. There was no purpose for that. So why then, when Jesus came as the Lamb of God, why did he rise? Well, yeah, he's the receipt. It's the proof of our purchase. That's true. But also, there is relationship to be had with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. This is important because he's not just some animal. He's the Lord himself, and we need him, we want him, we need to connect with him. See, for a religion, a dead Jesus will do. But for a relationship, you need to have a living Jesus. It's huge. Imagine, if you will, a husband who lays down his life for his wife, dies for her for some reason. What a beautiful story. But note this, the widow, she doesn't want to be a widow. She wants her husband. So you know what a better story would be? If after he died for her, he then rose and they got to continue in relationship. You see that? That's what's going on in the resurrection. For a religion, a dead Jesus will do. But for a relationship, you need a living Jesus. All right. We're going to see that come to life as we get into John chapter 21 today. If you've got a Bible at home, go ahead and turn to John 21. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We're going to be putting it on the screen for you. And church, you know we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and I hope you'll forgive me if on Easter, cut me slack, I go to a passage about the resurrection. So we're going to be in John 21. Let me let you know what's going on there. We already have, by John 21, we already have a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Jesus has already risen. He's appeared like that whole doubting Thomas scene. If you're familiar with that, that's already happened. Now, uh, the disciples have left Jerusalem, and many of them returned to Galilee, where they were from. Peter and many others came from up there. In fact, Jesus did most of his early ministry up in the north in Galilee. So they went back up there. Now, Peter is hanging out at this point with six of the other apostles, or the original 12 disciples. So the seven of them are hanging out. And we pick up the story in John chapter 21, verse 3. Look at this. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Riveting conversation, I know. But then it says this, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, first thing, finally we have a true 
fishing story. The Bible doesn't lie. The Bible tells the truth. And finally, you have some fishermen admitting they were out all night and caught nothing. But there's more going on there than that. Peter is essentially saying, I'm going to go back to my old life. If you remember, Peter was a fisherman along with his brother Andrew and then uh, two of the other disciples, James and John. They were like partners in this fishing trade. And he was a fisherman uh, when Jesus called him to be an apostle. But one of the things that happened most recently, after, uh, like right after Jesus was arrested, before his crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus three times. If you remember, Jesus told Peter, he said, hey, listen, all of you are going to scatter and abandon me. And Peter's like, no way, man. I would never ditch you. They all might, I won't. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, you don't get it, man. Before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. He said, hey, aren't you with that Jesus guy? And Peter was like, nope. Three times. I don't even know the guy. And he denies Jesus. So here you have Peter feeling defeated. He feels like a failure. He feels like he's disqualified. Like he's not even sure if Jesus would even want him. So you know what? I'm just going to go back to fishing, guys. All right, Peter, we'll go with you. And so the seven of them go out fishing all night. Now that might strike you as strange, but in ancient times they commonly fished at night because there wasn't refrigeration. So they would go out all night fishing, then they would sell the fresh fish in the market in the morning. Okay, so they're out all night, they've caught nothing, they're worn out, they're tired, they might be cold, they might be wet, they're discouraged, they're kind of metaphorically adrift and aimless. And then this is what happens. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. All right, so here's what's going on. At first, they don't even recognize him. Now, listen, I I get that. We'll find out a little bit in the story that they're about 100 yards out. So it's like a football field away from the shore. They don't have binoculars. There might be mist. It's early morning. It's twilight. They can't see who is this solitary figure on the shore speaking to them. They don't know it's Jesus. So it's just some dude on the shore that calls out, hey, you guys caught anything? No. Which is to say, we don't want to talk about it, right? Like, listen, you know how fishermen are. If they caught a lot of fish, they would have been chatty Kathy like crazy. But nobody likes to talk about their failures, right? So they just say no. And then this dude on the shore says, well, tell you what, cast your net on the right side of the boat. I want you to imagine you're these seasoned professional fishermen. Some some dude on the shore is telling you, and you're like, man, we've been out all night. We know what we're doing. Who the heck do you think you are, right? But uh, they humor him. I've done this before. Like, I don't know if you've ever called up tech support. 
right? Because you got a problem with your, your computer. And the first thing they say is, well, uh, why don't you shut it down? It's like, dude, if that worked, I, we wouldn't be on the phone, man. Like, of course I tried that. But you know what? I'm going to humor him. And so you do it anyway just to get past that so we can get on to the real stuff, right? Okay, so they're kind of in that mode where they're like, listen, fine. Uh, let's humor the guy. We'll do the net thing on the right side. He'll leave us alone. We can go back to moping in our boat. So they cast it on the right side of the boat. And that net is near bursting with fish. There is such a huge catch in there. I imagine Jesus on the shore with a wry grin on his face, just smiling at the moment. And what happens next is it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. Now let me tell you, that's a reference to John. John is the author of the Gospel of John. In his own Gospel, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm going on record right now. I am the pastor whom Jesus loves. Let me be clear. I think it's a statement of grace. What I'm saying is, listen, the only way I get to be a pastor is be, I don't know, Jesus just loved me. I, I don't get it. I think John is saying the only way I get to be one of the apostles, I don't know, Jesus just loved me. I'm the one he loved. I, I think that's what, it's a statement of grace. I don't know that, but, but here's what happens in that moment. John turns to Peter. And, and because when, when they cast that net over and it was full of fish, it triggered a memory for John. He remembered something. See, if you go to Luke chapter 5, when Jesus called Peter and James and John, when he called them to be his apostles, they were in a fishing boat and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, hey, let down your net one more time. And they're like... Peter said, Master, we've been out all night. Are you serious? I'm like, dude, trust me, Peter. And so they do it, and the net is like bursting with fish. And they knew in that moment that this was not just some rabbi. This is the Messiah. This is it. And they even got afraid, and Jesus said, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. That's in Luke 5. You're not going to be catching fish anymore. You're going to be catching men. And in Luke 5, it says, They brought their boats to land. They left everything and followed him they left their nets they left their boats they left the fishing trade they followed jesus now john remembers luke 5 in luke in john 21 and he goes white as a ghost i imagine and he turns to peter and he said it's him it's jesus it is the lord it's the lord you know what happens next this is great Look at verse 7 as we continue there. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. <laughs> okay, the other six guys still in the boat, I, I imagine them going like, uh, yeah, thanks, Peter. You jump in. Why don't you swim to Jesus? But no, no, don't worry. We got it. We'll take care of the boat and all the fish, all the hard rowing, dragging that huge net. Yeah, we got it, Peter. I don't know that they did that, but if they're anything like me and my friends, that's exactly what would have been said in that moment. But you got to understand, Peter is that kind of guy. He turns his back. Remember he said, I'm going to go back to fishing? Now he turns his back on one of the biggest hauls of fish 
and he dives in and he swims, he wades, he runs toward Jesus. Why? Because he just figured out, oh my goodness, my living, risen Savior, my Lord, is there on shore. And nothing can keep Peter from Jesus. And I want you to understand something. That's relationship. Nobody runs to religion like that. He ran to relationship with Jesus. And when they all got to shore, look at this. Here's what happens. Look at verses 9 and 12. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. (laughs) I just love that. So they get to shore, and here they are on the the shore, the beach of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has a fire roaring already. Maybe he's got driftwood logs pulled up in a ring to sit around it. He's roasting fish. He's got bread ready for them. And he says, come on, fellas, I just want to eat a meal for you. You know why I rose for you guys? So that I could sit here and eat a meal with you. Listen, in the scriptures, having a meal is connected with relationship and fellowship and being with each other. It's not just about consumption of food and calories and nutrition and stuff like that. It's about people, relationship. And so when you look throughout the Old Testament, uh, the festivals throughout the Old Testament are around meals connecting with each other. You come into the New Testament, and what you find is Jesus over and over, it says he would recline at table, and he would engage in relationship with hurting people. And he would build relationship with them. And then toward the end of his time on earth, when he was predicting his coming crucifixion, he gave us this thing about bread and wine, the bread and the cup, that's a meal. Communion or Lord's Supper or Eucharist, whatever you call it, this ritual he gave us to remember what he did on the cross is a meal. And oh, by the way, throughout the entire Bible, when it talks about us entering paradise someday, it begins with a celebration, a feast, a meal. Jesus just wants to eat with us and hang out with us. And so what I imagine on that shore of the Sea of Galilee is dudes sitting around a fire, having just been out fishing all night, and and now, miraculously, they've got a catch, and they're roasting fish and eating bread and laughing together and enjoying each other's company. Here's my question. Is that your picture of Christianity? Is that why you think Jesus rose? Listen, yes, it absolutely involves sacrifice, it involves service, it means that we need to heal, we need to grow more mature to be more like Jesus, yes, but also the reason Jesus rose is to hang out with us. Because see, salvation's already secure, it is finished, that's already in the can, now it's time for relationship. But remember this, for religion, a dead Jesus will do. But for relationship, you need a living Jesus. So there they are on the shore hanging out. And there's one last part to the story that's really kind of cool. Remember, it's a charcoal fire. That's an interesting detail for John to slip in. It was an important one, actually. 
Because that charcoal fire will trigger a memory for Peter. Remember the, the net and the huge catch of fish, that triggered a memory for John. But that charcoal fire uh, was important. See, when Peter denied Jesus three times, the second time and the third time, and when he heard the cock crow, those were around a charcoal fire. And that was pretty recent. And so I'm betting that charcoal fire was triggering something for Peter. And he's saying, maybe Jesus rose to come back for relationship with these other six guys, but I think I'm too messed up. I denied Jesus three times around a fire just like this. He can't possibly want me. So here's what happens after breakfast. Look at this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Then a little while later it says this, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. I want to make three quick observations from that interaction because there's gold in that. There's gold in that. First thing is this. So they're around this charcoal fire and Jesus says, do you love me? Now notice something. Love is the language not of religion but of relationship. Do you love me, Peter? And he asked them that three times. Why? Because Peter denied him three times. The lesson wouldn't be lost on Peter. Jesus is making a point, and I want you to catch it. Jesus is saying, Peter, I know. Oh, I know. I know all about you, Peter. I know you denied me three times. Remember I predicted it, Peter? Listen, Peter, when you denied me, that surprised you. It didn't surprise me. It was new information for you. It wasn't new information for me. I already knew it, Peter. And guess what? I want you, Peter. Listen, Peter, the bloody cross still stands. I've already forgiven you. Your debt is paid. Forgiveness is secure. But Peter, I don't want a religion with you. I want a relationship with you. And that is why I rose. I came back for you, Peter, so that we could be together and hang out on this beach and we could be around this fire and talk and laugh and eat fish together. You know what Peter said in response? He said, you had me at hello. No, he didn't say that. Though that would have been awesome if that's what Peter said. But what he actually said is he said, you know that I love you. You know, in fact, one point in time he said, you know everything and you know that I love you, which is really cool. What that means is Peter knew he loved Jesus so much that he could call as his prime witness, the omniscient, the all-knowing risen Lord Jesus himself could testify to Peter's love for Jesus. That's bold. Peter loves Jesus. Now, the second thing I notice is this. Jesus is saying, Peter, I have a mission for you. Did you notice every time Peter said, I love you, 
Jesus said, go feed my sheep, or something like that. I got a mission for you, go feed my sheep. And what, what Jesus is saying there, he's saying, look, Peter, you're not going back, you're going forward. You're not going back to fishing. Life isn't about fishing, Peter. It's no longer about that. Yeah, I know you screwed up. And Peter, by the way, you're still going to screw up. And I already know about those things. But I'm calling you to be a part of my mission. i got a mission for you, Peter. You've got a new life. You've got a new calling. You've got a new adventure. And here's the deal. We're going to do it together, Peter. This time we're doing it together. Because I rose. I came for you. Follow me, Peter. Let's do this. That's so cool. Now, notice a couple things. Notice that uh, Jesus fed Peter first. And then he said, you go feed the sheep, okay? It's all about a meal in both, case, in both cases, and so it's all about relationship. But Jesus fed Peter, now Peter, will you go feed my sheep? And the other thing I want you to catch from that is that love precedes service. That's the order in the ministry of God. So, so it's not, hey, uh, go serve God, and then therefore he'll love you, and you can love him back. No, 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 that's not the way it goes. It's that God loved you by grace. And just like Peter, then we love him back. Are you kidding me? That is so awesome. I love you, God. Therefore, go feed my sheep. Service flows from love. Service does not earn us love. That's not the way God did it. Okay? So here's what I'm going to say. Something maybe controversial. I don't want you to love the Bible. I don't want you to love the mission of God. I don't want you to love people. And I do not want you to love holiness. I want you to love Jesus. Just love him. And love him so much that you know what? You can't wait to hear from him. So we consume the Bible out of love for Jesus. And we pursue his mission with passion because we care about his kingdom and what he cares about. Absolutely, we're in because we love Jesus. And people, Jesus died for people. So of course we're going to love what he loves. We love people because we love him. Holiness, we want to be like the Holy One, Jesus himself. Of course we want to be like him. We love him so much. So it all flows from love. And Peter did exactly that. In fact, so much so that Peter would end up being murdered as a martyr because he was so zealous about his love for Jesus and telling people about Jesus. All right, that's the second thing. The third one's kind of short, but it's important. Did you notice that it ended with Jesus saying, follow me, follow me? Now, religion says, follow these rules. Religion says, follow these rituals. And if that's all you want, a dead Jesus is all you need. But Jesus came for more than just that. And so he said, follow me. That's the language of connection. That's a relationship. That's interaction. And you know what? For that, you need a living Jesus. It's cool stuff. That's what Easter's all about. A bloody cross in an empty tomb. Do you understand that Peter's experience of Jesus on that beach is so very different than our culture's religion? See, what we tend to do is we think of God as this distant God, this unengaged God who doesn't want to connect and be with us moment by moment around a fire. 
We, he thinks he's this dour, distant, sour guy. We must appease him. We don't communicate with him. And so what we do is we'll go to church twice a year or maybe every Sunday a year, but it's not about this love relationship with Jesus. Listen, can I just suggest to you that Jesus didn't die and rise so that we could go to church twice a year? That's silly, isn't it? My point is this. For a religion, all you need is a dead Jesus. But for a relationship with God, you need a living Jesus. All right, what do we do with that? I want you to be just like Peter. Oh, you already are. You're messed up, just like me. We are messed up just like Peter. We have screwed up. We will screw up. And I want you to admit it. But understand this. Jesus died to have relationship with you. Okay, so, so when you screw up, that's going to be new information for you. You might be surprised by how much you screw up. God will never be surprised. He knew it from eternity past. He knows all your mistakes, past, present, and future. And he died and rose for you. He came for you. And he's not surprised by it. And so what I want you to do is jump into the water. Splash and swim and wade and run to Jesus. Some of you might run to Jesus for the very first time this morning or today. Whenever you're watching this, during our closing song we'll have here in a moment, you might find yourself in your heart running to Jesus. Remember, that's the stuff of relationship, not religion. In fact, what does Jesus want? Remember, he wants relationship with you. He wants to sit around a fire and laugh and share, that you would listen to him through his word, that you would pour your heart out to him, that you would follow him and learn to be more like him. That's exactly what he wants for you. And then he wants you to get on mission. Don't go back to your old life. It's not about what you used to do. It's about a new life. Listen, I want you to rise to the calling that the risen one put on your life. And remember, you get to do it with him in relationship because this is what we're going to hold on to this morning. For religion, a dead Jesus will do. But for a relationship, you need a living Jesus. And let me pray for just that. Father, we want to thank you and praise you this morning for a bloody cross and an empty tomb. The bloody cross, because we've got nothing else. That If Jesus didn't pay it for me, Lord, I got nothing. I got nothing. He did it all, and he said it is finished. But Lord, we don't want a religion. We want a relationship. We want something that changes our lives. We want to interact with you and hang out with you and know you and love you and interact with you and be changed by you. And that's a relationship. And we know that for that, we need a living Jesus. And praise you, our God, that you raised Jesus from the dead for just that purpose. Lord, take us there, please, and receive our worship as we run to you right now. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.